0: But this is Duca on the move for Montreal. Dilly Duca, let's see what he does. A left foot shot that's in. Dilly Duca beat his man, and the Rutgers product makes it 1 nothing Montreal.
1: This is Off the Woodworks with Kevin Laramie, the longest running podcast entirely dedicated to the Montreal impact. wide open now, Malice, plenty of room. As Pachuca have five players lined up across
0: the back. An opportunity! It's power for Montreal! The rookie!
1: As we kick off Major League Soccer's 20th campaign, here in the year 2015, let's check out the starting lineups for this one. We begin. Take a look at Montreal starting eleven under head coach Frank Clopas playing a four-five-one. Jack one Jack McInerney up top, and Santino. I know a guy you want to highlight. Number ten in the middle of the park, Ignacio Piatti. Piatti's magic. He's the he's the engine. Everything goes through him. He's the traditional number ten. Uh, it'll be three. He is the make. engine. He is the key. Everything's gonna have to go through him in 2015. Ignacio Piatti. The success of the Montreal Impact is gonna go through to Ignacio Piatti in 2015. As goes Piatti, as will go the Montreal Impact. Good day, good night and welcome to a brand new edition of Off The Woodworks. Today on the show we're going to talk about the DC United versus the Montreal Impact. First game of the 2015 season for the Impact in Major League Soccer. Same for DC. Uh, Montreal lost 1 0 against DC United. uh, Arieta, a Costa Rican of all the nationalities, a Costa Rican who scored against Montreal on a kind of a blunder from Evan Bush. Not really, because he, he was implicated a lot in the game, did some great save, got lucky on a post a couple of minutes after that first goal. But on that goal itself, I think he was maybe a little too aggressive, maybe. And paid for the price. One of the only mistakes he did in the last two weeks. And he dearly paid for it in that game. And another thing that Montreal is going to pay for it is Justin Mapp injured. He is going to get surgery this week. Four months right now. They're saying that he's gone. It might be quicker if you ask me. depends on how he can deal with the pain. Because it's not a part of the body. That is Well, it is used, but it's not. It's soccer, so you don't use your arms as much as a leg. But still, it's a dislocated elbow surgery later this week. Right now, the diagnostic and the prognostic for the amount of time he's going to miss is four months. So, that brings a lot of questions, so we'll try to answer those questions today, too. And at the end of the show, our first of a two-part segment. Today, it's going to be the introduction on... Liga Deportiva a la Montreal Impact's opponent in the CONCACAF Champions League semi-final game that will be March 18th at the Big O. April 7th in Costa Rica. Right now, working on a project trying to make it down to Costa Rica. One thing for sure I will be making it at the Big O. March 18th, get your ticket. Let's continue to mark history. Let's have another quest for a moment. Because he has Cameron Porter to give Gave us that moment, he did. Why not get another one? Why not get another moment against Alahualense? And we'll talk about Alahualense, the history of Alahualense. You remember we did the same thing for Pachuca. And the history of Pachuca was really interesting. Alahualense is even more interesting how the club started and all that is really interesting. We'll get to the details at the end of the show. So let's start With that D.C. United-Montreal game at good old RFK Stadium. Oh, the pitch was awful. 24 hours prior to the game, well, maybe 48, was snowing. And still 48 hours, 24 hours, there's a lot lot of snow. About 50 people were shoveling. just, Just the day before the game were shoveling snow out of the pitch. So I was in miserable conditions. I'm not gonna blame the pitch for Justin Mapp's injury, but it didn't help. You know he couldn't his fall was awkward and it's pretty much how he injured himself and awkward falls happen more often on bad bad pitch or bad grass. Bad pitch conditions bad pitch conditions I can't speak today. Bad pitch conditions are more they're more. Uh, they're gonna have more bad falls, on them more awkward falls, more awkward play, and unfortunately, it cost an injury for the Montreal Impact. Oh, it's good. it's gonna be really hard because let's let's just talk about it right now. Let's just get it over with. The Montreal Impact was really that position was key because Justin Mapp is. A unique type of player, being left footed, being able to play on that right side, using that left foot skills, cutting back in and be able to create chances for himself or for others. Almost all the chances in that DC game that Montreal Impact had, not everyone but almost, I could count at least 6, were created by Justin Mapp. Either him straight shooting on goal from long distance or even from closer distance or just opening the play up setting up for Piotti and then that's another thing we'll talk about Piotti later setting more for Duca, even though at the other, end of this, on the other side of the pitch for Jack Mack, well Jack Mack was not really present in that game but still Justin Mapp was the guy creating the chances for the impact in the first three games of Montreal in 20C in 2015 so with Justin Mapp being injured now for four months what does it change for Montreal Impact? Does the Montreal Impact have to tactically change so that they can generate, create, uh, generate and create chances going forward on the other sides of the pitch? You don't have another Justin Map in your roster. You have players that can try to play that same type of style, but they don't have the same type of skill on their left foot that does give. Justin map, one more option on that left side that the other players don't have. So that really worries me because that's where the chances were created and that's where we got our opening to cut back inside it was on that left side. As much as Danny, uh, Dili Duca is playing good, it's not the same type of player. He gets his opportunities by being faster, outpacing the defender that's on him, and getting looks on goal. Justin Mapp creates his chances by thinking about the play and using his skills and his cutback inside from from the right side to inside to the middle with his left foot being open. Because as much as you want to prepare yourself for a left footer, in the heat of the moment, the instinct will be to cover the right side of the shot instinctively and that opens up Justin Maps left foot and that's going to be hard to replace so tactically the impact need to change something do you change the whole formation to go to a four-four-two, and having Argero, Mac and Ernie share the share the, the workload up top and then fill that space differently that could be an option you could just keep it as if four, two, three, one, and just change the pathways, change the path pass pathways between the midfielders so that you don't use that part of the pitch as often and try to use dide a little bit more. Romero's almost cleared to come back hundred percent, but he's not there yet. What do you do so far? Do you move up to so up? do you cover? a lot of things possible that you can do. But Montreal Impact is going to have to adjust. Thing is, it happened in the best time of the season for the Impact. By week in Major League Soccer this week. Their next game is March 18th. Alright, they're playing right after March 21st, I know. But still, they had a 10-day period that they can focus on Alahualense and focus on the replacement of MAP on that side of the field. That's important. So that's one of the key things that happened in that game. Uh, I spoke about Piatti. Piatti was not there. Piatti hasn't impressed me so far in any games in the three. And I have a little theory of why. You know, when Piatti came back, well, came back, when Piatti arrived in Montreal coming from San Lorenzo in the beginning of August last year, well, he was just coming off playing just week to week. And we're just a continuation of his play with San Lorenzo. Coming here, he did, didn't adjust to the system. He wasn't trying to fit in and to think about how he wants his coach to play. No, he came in here and just played. And we saw the result. If you're looking at the highlights of his games against Houston, against Galaxy, the end of last year, you'll see Piatti on a different level than he is right now. A lot, a big, big different level. Way higher. Uh, it touches his instinct just took over those games. He literally took over those games without thinking about it, just reacting because he played with San Lorenzo uh, straight up to the point where he put the blue shirt for the first time. Now, having an offseason, later than he's used to, about six months later than he's used to, so it was probably between 18 months between real offseason, even though he was injured, uh, between the, the end of last season, Surgery and all that before the beginning of this season, his off season wasn't as productive, or he couldn't recuperate as much, and he had to think about the preseason. So Piatti's form, fitness—I don't think he's 100% recuperated from uh, the surgery, and he basically didn't have 100% of a training camp. So his fitness, his form, is a below par compared to. Uh, last year. And that's my theory. That, I think that's why Piatti's not really playing good right now. And should he be better off for Montreal in the long run to skip a start for Piatti and make him come back as a sub later on? Maybe not against Alain Valencia, but maybe don't play him on March 21st. That's what I'm saying. Uh, we do need him against Alain Valencia, I'm not going to lie. Especially more against a chirpier, maybe more dirty Alain Valencia team than Pachuca was watching the game that Adualense played against Coast, uh, against DC United, that Costa Rican team plays really dirty. They're conca-calf, big time, more than Pachuca. Pachuca has a, a reputation of having some sort of honor and less gamesmanship, even though we saw the gamesmanship in the last 10 minutes, last 12 minutes in Montreal, which cost them the game at the end. Uh, with Costa Rican team, with Adualense, it's going to be worse. It's going to be more dive, more fake injuries, more CONCACAF stuff, and we'll need Piatti because he's the only type of player that we have that can play that game, and you know what, we have to realize, we have to stoop down to that level to win in CONCACAF, and you know what, for once my principles go out the door, I didn't say out the door, I said out the door, which basically, that's where Altidore is out the door. We don't like him here in Montreal. Plays for Toronto, for God's sakes. My principles go out the door when I'm playing CONCACAF because the ends justify the means. And if you want to get results in CONCACAF, well, you have to play their game. And their game is called gamesmanship. Piatti needs to be up for that game. Uh, if you're look, looking at that, the scores of the game, that the... the like. That uh, Patrick Lezuc and other journalists and reporters give to the players. A lot of people give Piatti four out of ten for that game. Uh, that's generous too. Piatti is not the first on the ball. And when he gets the ball, he loses it or he just gets stripped away. Basically, he's like a half a second behind DC players. The defenders were always on him, and he couldn't get away with it. And I think that's a direct correlation to the fact that he didn't have a hundred percent training camp and. It, it's his legs that were affected. And that's where it seemed to be. It's, overall, he still has the same pace and the same speed on the pitch when he makes a run and stuff. You don't see it there. But you see it when you he needs to cut back and do short movement quickly, the change of direction quickly, the cutbacks, the spins, those type of moves that are that defined Piatti's play and were able to put him in good position to be able to finish goals from wherever inside 20 yards. Well, that's always oh, generous. Inside 25. Which defined Piatti's play with San Lorenzo and with Montreal at the end of last year. He can't do that right now because he doesn't have that little... that that little notch of fitness and form you need to be able to achieve those. And maybe he doesn't have the trust or the confidence in his body 100% to, to try those moves. He doesn't want to get injured more. Maybe there is that too. So... The confidence and all that together would explain a little bit why Piatti's is below par and below expectations so far after three games. Not going to raise the red flags right now. Three games. We'll come back to that discussion. Game number 10. That's going to be important. Because if in game 10, his contribution is still what it is right now, so not a lot. Well, there's no value in that. And in a cap league, you need value. And we're not going to talk about trading him or all that after 10 games. No, but, but tactically, there'll be things that you can do after 10 games if Piatti doesn't produce like we need him to produce to be able to be effective in Major League Soccer and rack up points and not get gapped. That's the only thing I want Montreal to do in the first month of Major League Soccer campaign. Don't get gapped. Don't have 8 points between you and the top, or 10, or 12. Keep it between 4 and 5 at the most. Maybe 6 at the most. Like 2 wins off. 6 at the most. So it's reachable. And you don't have to go on a 10 games winning spree to make it there. So that, that goes for Piatti. And for the gapping part. My little surprise after a couple games. Especially after the Petruccia games. But uh, still that continued against DC's Dilliduccia. Dilly, 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 dilly Duca. What a surprise. I don't know if it's the fact that he keeps his body in great shape. There's always that narrative at the beginning of every major league soccer season. The couple players that are really in better shape than the other ones will get on better runs, will outpace their coverers or their defender that's on them. A lot of times, and we've seen that with De La Duca in the games against Pachuca and the games against MLS. That's that's why I'm thinking it's not just that because he was able to do that against Mexican players that are in the middle of their spring season. So you, it's fine if you do it to Major League Soccer players that just coming off training camp that are not there yet. They're not at their fitness and their form yet. But when you do the same thing that De La Duca just goes outside and gets back in just like there was no defender, just outpacing and outfronting him. When dil Duca does that, shows you that he's in good shape, in good form, in good spirit too, and he's has confidence. And I think those two goals that he did in Mexico, which are career-defining goals, two goals away in Mexico for a Canadian team in the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Champion League, still a great moment for the club, which we forget because Cameron Porter... Scored an un, a timely goal that were was unexpected. But Diliduka, Dilituca, a hell of a performance to do in Mexico. And that does boost your confidence. And he's been playing well ever since. A return game with Big O. In that game against DC, for me, Dilituca was a player of the match for the Montreal Impact. A player that's played well in the first couple of games and struggled a little bit against DC United, Nigel Rio Coker. I think Rio Coker is the new Justin Map. Not skills-wise, but the fact that you have to manage his playing time. I think Rio and Patrice need to uh, be interchangeable and need to alternate. I think Patrice should start, maybe not against Alahualense, but definitely 21st Patrice plays 90 minutes, or at least 60, if he's good for that. I think Rio Cooker needs to be managed more. Don't forget, before the first game against Pachuca in Mexico, not one player of the Montreal back played 90 minutes played straight 90 minutes in the preseason in any games yes there were 90 more than 90 minute training sessions but there was no games of 90 minutes so you don't get that game shape that's famous or maybe more infamous game shape after a couple of games be in you So Nigel Coker played three times 90 minutes. Well, twice, and then he got subbed off for strikers. But yeah, so that would explain maybe that you need to uh, manage more his playing time. So get maybe Patrice Bernier to sub in to the 60th minute. Patrice gets the the armband back and gets on the pitch and the chance to use his. Because Patrice does take care of himself. He does take care of his body, even though he's getting slowly on the wrong side of thirty, but if you ask me, the guy's in great shape. Always took care of himself. So Patrice could have an impact that way. I see it. He, we haven't seen him yet, but I think that way it could be useful. And maybe on more forward. Maybe if you got Donadell and either Malice or Coca there, Bernier could move forward and who knows if you want Piatti to Put Bernier instead of Piatti for 30 minutes and try it that way and see what can happen. Montreal hasn't scored a lot of goals. Three goals and three in three games, you're not going to win the league with three goals in three games. You won't, re- get, you, you won't get relegated, which is not an issue here. But three goals in three games, you're not going to get that far. So even if Montreal wants to win against Hala you need goals. So why not try that, what I was just saying and put... And, and try Bernier at... Uh, attack in midfield position in the last 30-20 minutes of the game as a experiment and see what comes out of it. Nothing. He's responsible too, so nothing bad's going to come out of it. So that's one thing. Speaking of needing goals, I was expecting that to come with Juro. And I was expecting more from Jack Mack because Jack Mack in history from March to June, that's his time to shine. He did 10 goals in that span when it was with Philly. And last year did the same. You would think that more was going to... You would think he's going to do more, but no. But no. Jack Mack hasn't started. He's lacking confidence. And Jack McInerney is a player that really gets affected by his lack of confidence. Or is, when he, when he is confident, when he is maybe overconfident, he gets an going. Streak. Scores two, three goals by the bunch. So he's a striker that scores goals by the bunches. But he hasn't started yet. And it's time to... Dominic Oduro is a type of player that will put himself in position to score goals because of his pace, because of his awkwardness when he's on the ball. Sometimes you think he's losing the ball, but he's actually putting himself in a good position. But... Even though he gets himself in good position, he's not going to be able to finish all those positions. So so he's great to have because you get excited to watch him and get into those positions that you're not expected to see him pull off. But he never pulls off the great thing that you need him to do at the nick of time. He'll get in that position and you'll miss. So we need more realism in this play, more finish in Ajiro. Because he, he does get into position and he could be the type of a target man that Montreal doesn't have if you're talking about a Porter or a Jack Mack, totally different type of... Cameron Porter is a little bit of a mix between a player like an Altador, which is a almost classic, but when I think about Target, man, I always have Edson, Buttle, Eddie Johnson, and Altador in my mind, and like a mix of the three is a Target man for me, almost. So Cameron Porter is a little bit of a mix of that between that and Jack Mack, but look, The kid's a rookie. He needs to play 10, 5, 10 minutes a game, slowly, because he has that fitness, and he does have some type of impact, and let's face it, some intangibles in sport you can't explain. That guy, for some reason, I can't explain it, but he gets that ball behind the net. I'm not basing myself solely on the Pachuca game, not at all. It's basically what I'm saying into the words of Jesse Marsh. That was one of the assistant coaches in Princeton last year and one is a coach of the Red Bulls right now this year and it was really fun of it and he was crying he was yelling at everybody who would listen just before the combine that you need to invite that guy to the combine eventually he did get an invitation to that combine to get that third round draft pick 45th for, for the impact that's going to be remembered forever now because of that quarterfinal goals that clinched Montreal's impact uh, spot in the semifinals. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, One of my favorite things that happened with the impact so far, Soumare. I'm really impressed. He's so good in the air, probably the best that the impact has. And uh, I'm surprised his leadership skills, which I did not expect. I didn't think about it that way. But him coming to a French-speaking, a Francophone area. And the defense is a Francophone defense. And him coming into that situation, that environment... It helps him blossom to a level that maybe he couldn't achieve in Chicago. And that's interesting. It's a different way to look at a player's arrival to a team. And he comes into a team and takes a spot that was there. And it's his to lose, leadership-wise, in the defense. Him with Sima, We'll come back to Sima. There's a lot of things I like and a couple of things I don't like about Sima, But I think it's about the adjustments making between leagues. He's not used to playing, being a little, maybe one level of skills underneath what he's used to. And that would explain why he might do things too quickly. But just to finish on Sumari, really impressed with Bakary Sumare. I was really not convinced at the beginning of the season. I, I thought it was too reckless. And so far, we didn't see that part of his play. Hopefully, it stays that way. But I'm being sold on him every time I'm watching play. So every minute of play he has so far is convincing me more and more. Coming back to La now in the defense. La doing great things. In the air is good, making a great combination with Bakary Soumary. They have a, a, a certain chemistry. They can communicate really well. It's not just about the, the language, but it's about the non-verbal language. It's about how you look at each other, how you can think for the other one, how you can... Almost it's a preemptive feeling. You know where the other one's going to be, so you cover the other spaces. Those type of chemistries, it's it's already there with Sima and So and that's impressive. What what I'm worried about Sima is he needs to... Not that he's reckless. Re, I wouldn't call it reckless. He doesn't tackle, cleats up, and all that. No, it's just his timing on the tackles. It it seems like his, the timing of his tackle are made for players that would do something that Major League's... Soccer players don't do. Like, that one move, that one sec- second, that usually European player, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but it's just to explain my point, so bear with me for a second. When you're looking at a European player, the defenders will cut off almost all option immediately to not get beat and and attack them or be more proactive in the defense. In, in Major League Soccer, you're not expecting the attack. It's not every... Not every player is Robbie King, so you're not expecting every player that's against you to be able to pull off the one thing. So you can leave one side of your coverage open and focus the pressure that way, which is not the case in Europe because you have to close down right now. Otherwise, you'll get beat. You can choose the way you approach your attacker as a defender in Major League Soccer and back yourself up It'll be able to be more risky. But you won't get beat as much because of the skill level is not it's not far. I know, it's close. But that's where it's like that last touch. You won't get beat as often with the last touch in MLS. Then you do get beat in Europe. So oh, I know I'm exaggerating, generalizing, but it's just to explain that point of view tactically. So so I think that's the one thing wrong with Sima's play right now. He might be a little too aggressive not on his defenders and not that he's reckless but he's trying to close the play and to finish it off right now when he can just close the one play that could be dangerous towards the goal in major league soccer and give the chance to his partner to finish the play with the other defender could receive a pass so that's a one way to look at it that I can explain sima so that pretty much are my thoughts against the dc united game it's a Montreal impact that we said again. Montreal lost one nothing on the road on bad bitch condition and Justin maps out for four months with a dislocated elbow that he's getting surgery this week. So we'll take a small break. When we come back, we'll do a small history of Alawalense and we'll uh, preview a little bit. The game coming up March 18th, CONCACAF Champions League semi finals
0: Liga Liga, Liga Liga En la cúpula del fútbol Siempre reinará Tus colores Rojo y negro Son orgullo Nacional Fuerza, garra E inteligencia Nuestro equipo Siempre lo tendrá Liga 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 Liga, Liga Campeón de campeones Siempre será campeones siempre serás en el estadio Morera disfrutamos la emoción y la fiesta del fútbol arriba liguistas hagamos la ola que viva la liga con casta de campeón arriba liguistas
1: And yes, for the second straight opponent in the CONCACAF Champions League, I found a dedicated song. If you go on YouTube, Himno de Liga Deportiva Alawense. It's not as catchy as the Pachuca one, I'm not gonna lie. I had a little something about that Pachuca one that made you wanna dance, made you wanna. That one doesn't have the same thing, but uh, more of the hymn, you know? It's more of an himno. it's more of a theme of a. Uh, an anthem of some sort. I can see that song. I can imagine myself on the pitch and listening to this before I imagine getting pumped up. So this was himno de Liga Deportiva para uh, a La Valencia. All right, let's talk about the history of the next opponent of the Montreal and back in the semifinals of the Concacaf Champions League. Again, get your tickets. About seventeen thousand tickets sold right now for the Big O. That was the word out of today. So get your tickets. For next Wednesday night, the team Liga Deportiva Alawalense was created in 1919 when a group of friends that used to play in a team called the Electra, at first and then 11 de Abril, April the 11th, they met at a salon de par salon pario. They met at a bar, and they wanted to give the city of Alajuela, which is the second biggest city in Costa Rica. Right now, back then, probably not. But they wanted to give the city a team that could represent them at a national level, at the top league, at the top tier. You know, the the one thing we don't have in Canada. You know, the one A league. You know, the type the one type. League, we don't have that yet. They wanted to create a team for that level in Costa Rica. So they played their first official game on August second of that year against C.S. Cartagena. If you remember, Cartagena was a team in the Concacaf Champions League earlier this season, while. In the prior rounds, they actually played the L.A., uh, they got destroyed. But, yeah, and they won their first match against Cartagena's 3-1. So, Awalense was part of the seven teams that built and formed the National League in Costa Rica back in 1921, which was the first real type 1A league of Costa Rica, along with La Libertad, Societad, Divina Española, Herediano, Cartagena, and Limonense. A couple of teams we heard before, if we heard of Herediano... And Cartagena is our team that either Montreal played or we heard in the CONCACAF Champions League before. So there's always Saprissa. Saprissa is usually known as the best team in Costa Rica. But this year, well, it's basically Herediano, But it's probably going to get eliminated by Club America in one semifinal. And the other semifinal in the Costa Rica. So Costa Rica is dominating CONCACAF. Out of four clubs left in the CONCACAF Champions League, you got two Costa Rica one. You got Herediano. And you got Alahualense. So you got a Canadian team and you got a Mexican team. So that tells you a lot about how uh, this year seems like not a lot of Mexican club took that team, that competition seriously, except uh, Club America, it seems. So going back to El de Alawanense, So they had, they finished third last year and in the combined table of 2013-2014. The spring and the winter to combine finished third. Still qualified for the Champions League. And made their way up to the semifinals up to now. They just eliminated 6-4 on aggregate. DC United. And if you have MLS Live. The second game of that home and away series. I think the first game is there too. So if you look at MLS Live. Those two games are on MLS Live. So you can watch alawalense versus DC United. And you can watch Alahualense really destroyed DC United in the first game. And the second game just in a couple minutes It around a 70-something minute game just changed. When DC scored, but then after DC scored, uh, well, Ala scored, and they destroyed every hope that uh, Parabrava and every other supporters for DC United had in that home-and-away series. It's fun to watch, and when you watch that game, there's one player that stands out for Ala and that's Alonso number 8, their striker. Unfortunately, due to yellow card accumulation... He's not going to be there next game. He's missing the first game against the Impact on March 18th. That's a plus for Montreal. But Montreal is losing just a map injury against for a month. Oh, it's going to be a tough, tough four months. Hopefully, he's uh, he heals quickly. Maybe he got some, uh, some genes that makes him heal quicker. And he comes back before. Let's remember, he's injured to the elbow, dislocated elbow. He never knows. It's a part of the body that you can still train in some sort. Not right now, but after a couple of weeks, you'll be able to con- to get back on a treadmill and to keep a certain amount of fitness. And hopefully, you will be quicker than four months. We really hope so, for Montreal's sakes. So, the stadium, the main stadium for is Estadio Alejandro Morera Soto in the city of Alahuela. Not too far from... There's about an airport about uh, 10 cl- 15 kilometers away from... Uh, uh, the stadium, so it's not gonna be that hard of a transport. What's hard to find is a flight that goes to alawella. Trust me, I've looked everywhere. I'm the type of guy who doesn't like to fly i don't mind flying it's just I don't like getting off a plane and getting into another plane. I don't like stops, I don't like layoff layovers, and I don't like to have multiple switching of plane for the same one for the same trip. I like it one way just. Montreal, Alawala, that yeah, doesn't exist. You have to go Montreal somewhere else, and Montreal, San Jose, and then from San Jose, Costa Rica, make your way up to Alawala, which is probably what I'm going to do because, again, I'm working on a way to get there for the April 7th game in Alawala. If you want to support me on that project, you can always do it, patreon.com slash solitude's 5 rings. A-, a portion of the funds dedicated to that account, my portion will serve as... Uh, trying to sponsor my trip to Costa Rica to go cover that Champions League game live in Costa Rica. That would be amazing, going there with my microphone, with everything, and be able to record the atmosphere in the Because who knows, if Montreal can pull a shocker in Costa Rica, it might be the biggest moment of the club's history, surpassing Cameron Sporter's goal. That could be interesting, very interesting they do have a mascot. Yes, it's a lion dressed with the team color, which is our Negris are one of the nicknames of Alawelense. They got three nicknames. That team got a lot of nicknames. Negros, which means black and red. Irizos, which means the had dogs, so you can call them Sonic. And the Manudos, which means big-handed ones. Uh, so good things, even though they have big hands, you're not used to, you're not, it's illegal to use your hand in soccer. Oh, that's one good thing. Uh, yeah, so they finished second in the 2013 regular season. The runners-up in the playoff. R- runners-up really often. They they won the CONCACAF Champions Cup a couple of times. They won in eighty seven against the Mighty River Plate. Alawan is the only Central American football team who took part in Commonwealth's competition. So that's Copa Merco Norte in 2000 and the Copa Sudamericana in 2006. Alavalence is a Central American team that has reached the highest position in the Club World Ranking, placing twenty seventh in two thousand. They were invited to the twenty sixth Copa Sudamericana, but lost two 11 on aggregate to Colo Colo from Chile. So yeah, so yeah, it's a Costa Rican team. People though thought after the Petruca, oh, we're gonna say win, but just win on aggregate, just they the, the advanced. So after the advancement, people like, oh, we're getting a Costa Rican team. It's gonna be easy. Dude, that team has a lot of history. Recent and old history. Which means they're relevant right now in CONCACAF. And they can really well be. They can beat Montreal. Definitely they can. Will Montreal let it happen? That's a question. That's what we're all wondering. If Montreal is going to have the tools to put a couple past the keeper. Because that's what's going to take. If you want to win that home and away series in semifinals at CONCACAF. You need to do what. Rarely Montreal have done in every home and away series that I've seen them play. That's put 2-3 past the keeper in the first lag at home. Take advantage of that famous or maybe infamous concrete pitch turf at the big O. If you can take advantage of that and put a couple past the keeper. Again, El say does play on the pitch. Single day, single night, every time. All day, baby. They play on that type of pitch, so they're used to it. So that's going to be, I don't know if that home advantage is going to truly be one. So that's going to be another interesting point in that game. All right, so now that we know a little bit about Alawense, I want to hear your predictions. You can let me know your predictions on Twitter at OffTheWoodWorks or on email, afterwhatworksathotmail.com. I want to have your prediction so I can read your predictions in the pre-game show that will be out next Monday. So from now till Monday, let me know your predictions of your starting 11, your prediction for what's going to happen in the game, your score prediction. Is it going to be a great game at the Big O? Is it going to be another moment? Are we going to have another quest for a moment? Let me know. Twitter at off the woodworks or by email off the woodworks at hotmail.com and you want to support the two solitude soccer podcast and the five rings podcast and off the woodworks you can do so on patreon.com slash two solitudes five rings that account it helps us uh, with cost of uh, bandwidth costs it helps us with production costs as well equipment costs and it could it will help us be able to extend the coverage of all the things we do, be able to travel to competitions, be able to dare, be there away for the impact, for Toronto, for Vancouver. I have more in-depth coverage as well. So with your support, we can bring that show and all those shows to another level. We are already the longest-running Montreal Impact dedicated podcast, the most popular Canadian soccer show and podcast with the Two Solid Soccer Show. So... We're on the way there, but with your help, we believe we can make it even bigger and even better. So tell a friend about the show. You listen to all our shows. You listen to a couple of them. Tell a friend and go on patreon.com. And until next Monday for the pre-show, the pre-game, the preview of the first leg CONCACAF Champions League semifinal at the Olympic Stadium, Montreal Impact, Alain Until then, have a great soccer.